Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this psalm, uh, short but packed with things that we, your people, need to hear. Would you, by your spirit, guide us into all truth? May we see that there can be peace and rest and quiet, not found in the things of this world, but God found in you. And may we be driven to you and to place our hope in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Peace and quiet. We all want it. Seeing as another holiday season, yes, it's hard to believe, is already upon us, we might wish we could store some of it away for those busy days that are still to come. Honestly, we could use it right now. This week, maybe even this morning, has given you every reason to long for some peace and quiet and rest. I googled peace and quiet this week to see how the internet might help. It's a helpful place. And the supply of information was certainly endless, but I like the 10 tips given by one particular article best. So if you're looking for peace and quiet in your everyday life, listen up. Here are 10 things that you can try. Get your life together the night before. Wake up to order instead of waking up to chaos. Resist looking at your phone for an hour. All those notifications, those noises, those sounds, they disrupt your peace. Turn off the commercials. They're loud, they're annoying, and they're just noise because, let's be honest, none of us are paying attention to them anyway. Have tea time. Other countries have been doing it for centuries. Why not? Let's try it. Hide in the bathroom and refresh yourself. I think this one's a little bit more for the ladies. You'll feel better, look better, you'll freshen yourself up a little bit. Skip the white lies. Honesty is the best policy. Lying disrupts your peace. Don't overbook yourself. Say no. It's okay. If you don't have the time, just say no. Take 100 deep breaths. Those shallow, nervous breathing, it's bad. It doesn't help you. Take the deep ones. Work on an art project. Go back to your childhood and color to relieve your stress. There's adult coloring books now, which I've done them. They lead to more stress, I think, than not, because it's so fine. Do nothing. It brings calm in the midst of busyness. Got it? All right, go ahead. We have a peaceful, quiet Sunday. We're done here. Totally kidding. In all seriousness, I am sure that there is some, maybe all of these have wisdom to them. There's probably a temporary peace and quiet that you can find with these tips. But the truth is, none of these tips will bring you the peace and quiet that your soul, that all of our souls desperately long for. Their scope is too limited. The help they offer will not endure for a lifetime. They cannot bring hope in the midst of loss, grief, pain, and trial. Only the Lord himself can promise such hope. In him alone do we find the peace and the quiet that our weary souls need most. David's song in Psalm 131 glories in this great truth. 
Now, scholars identify Psalm 131 as a psalm of confidence. While these psalms don't hold a specific structure and pattern like some of the other psalms of confession or thanksgiving, they share a similar theme, a theme of confident trust. The tone and content of these psalms all boast in full confidence in the Lord. And this ultimately leads to peace, despite the presence of enemies, of trouble, and any other threat that may be facing the psalmist who is writing them. At only three verses, Psalm 131 is the shortest, but what it lacks in breadth, it makes up for in depth. Now what David does not provide is he doesn't care about giving you a three-step process to finding peace and quiet. Neither does he give you a list of peace-securing practices like that article I, I read just moments ago. Instead, he reveals what he has found by placing his full trust in the Lord. David points us in the direction of our peace-giving and soul-quieting God. He directs us to the very source of the peace and quiet we long for. And for David, it proved true throughout his life, and it will do the same for all who profess faith in the Lord. Our outline this morning is fairly straightforward. Three verses, three points. They're in your bulletin. We're going to first look at David's confession, then David's calm, and finally David's call. Together, these will express David's hope-filled confidence in the Lord, and may we be filled with that same confidence this morning. The psalm opens with David's confession. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Before his covenant Lord, David voices humble submission. He uses three negative statements to reveal the humility in his heart. Not lifted up, not raised, not do not occupy. In these first two, David rejects the condition of pride. The verse can literally be translated, my heart is not exalted, my eyes are not lofty or arrogant. Now, if any Israelite would be prone to and even validated for having pride, David would be that Israelite. He was the greatest king Israel would ever know. He established and secured the kingdom. He was handpicked by God, a man after God's own heart. And yet, despite that impressive resume, David remained humble. This is where true peace and quiet begin for David. The removal of pride. The rejection of pride. Now what do an exalted heart and haughty eyes look like exactly? I think Paul gives us a picture in Romans chapter 12. Where in both verses 3 and 16 he says, For by the grace given to me I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment. And then in verse 16, never be wise in your own sight. Our sinful hearts are prone to think highly of ourselves. We feast on self-glory, on self-exaltation. And we are anxious and unsettled because of it. Humility before God and then before one another is the way to peace. So what's the condition of your heart this morning? How do you view yourself? 
If humility is lacking, then rest assured, peace and quiet will also be lacking. Pride is not the virtue this world, the devil, and the flesh want you to think it is. It will never bring peace. It will only bring chaos. But David doesn't merely reject pride. He also rejects prideful ambition. He says later on in that first verse, I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. Simply put, David stays in his lane. He understands that he is the creature and God is the creator. He knows the words of Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. God is God, David is not. There are things David will never understand. There are things David could never understand. And instead of demanding answers or vainly pursuing them, David is humbled by his limitations. He keeps himself from chasing or pursuing the things too great and too marvelous for him. What a stark contrast between this king and all other kings, past and present. David was certainly no slouch, as the kingdom under his reign expanded and increased in every possible way. And yet even his ambitions as king knew limits. There was always someone on a throne above him. Someone who had given him all his authority and his power. We can hear in David's confession the similar confession that Job made after the Lord finally spoke. When Job confessed, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. But greater still, does not David's confession also sound like another king who would come from his line? This king would take the form of a servant and humble himself even to the point of death. His ambition would be not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The truth is the history of mankind is all the proof that we need that man's selfish ambition will never bring peace that he so desperately longs for. Adam and Eve had that peace in the garden before the desire to be like God took root in their hearts. And man has continued in this foolishness ever since. In trying to be like God, we have demanded to know things as God does. To have the answers to things rightfully kept from us. To think that he even owes us an explanation for what he's doing. But know that God is under no such obligation. And this is a hard reality because often we, we often wish God would simply keep us informed. And so we often cry out, why? And I think the Psalms, other ones, allow us room to cry out why. But even as we ask, we must remember that we are the creature. Because without fail, pride and prideful ambition work against our peace. They make it impossible. And this is precisely how God intended it to be. Because pride is the one thing that God promises on multiple occasions to actively work against. Peter and James both quote the book of Proverbs when they write that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Peace and quiet start with a posture of humility. So where do your ambitions lie? What are you demanding from God, both in times of blessing and in times of trouble? David understood his place before the Lord. He confessed a heart and a will in full submission to him. And as a result, he knew peace. He tasted rest. May we embrace that same posture before the Lord. May we confess our humble submission before him. But Psalm 131 not only reveals David's confession, it also gives us a picture of David's calm. David says in verse 2, But I have calmed and quieted my soul. David is not only humble, he is at rest. Rejecting human pride, selfish ambition have produced in David a spirit of peace. Calmed and quieted paint two pictures of David's rest. Calmed is a farming word. It can mean leveled or plowed. In order for a a, a field to receive the seed, the field must first be leveled. It must be smooth. The bumps need to be taken out. And quieted reflects that stillness, tranquility. It is akin to the surface of the lake in the early hours of the morning. It's smooth as glass. It's undisturbed. It's still. Begging for someone to ski on it. David is that plowed field, that smooth lake. He's not a roller coaster moving up and down in every which way. He's calmed, he's quieted at the deepest level. My soul, he says. Every faculty and desire of David's heart has been stilled. It's been hushed. It's been quieted. If you're like me, you're probably thinking, how can I get my hands on this? This is what I need. This is what I long for. I'll be honest, I probably can't tell you there was a time where I could say I was calmed and quieted, where the the condition of my soul is smoothed, is leveled. Certainly wasn't a year ago this time when the future of myself and my family were up in the air. I think chaotic and frantic would be far better and more accurate descriptors. And the truth is, it is because I do not share that confession we just looked at in verse 1. Pride and self-reliance have been relished instead of rejected. David, as one commenter writes, has smoothed his soul so that that humility is its entire and uniform state. We wrongly think that self-reliance will bring us peace and quiet. We've bought into the lie. David makes it clear that there is a direct connection between humility and peace and pride and chaos. So daily confessing our inability and weakness, it's not simply an exercise in vanity. It is the outworking of our trust in God that he is who he says he is. And before we're tempted to disregard David's words as those of a conquering and lavish king, remember David also penned the words of Psalms like Psalm 22, which Jesus would take up for himself while on the cross. David's world before and all throughout his reign was often chaotic. His predecessor wanted him dead. David was often running for his life. He lost friends. He lost children. His own son tried to kill him and take his throne. If a man living through the chaos of his own sin, David was not perfect, as well as the sin of others, could pen these words, 
then there's hope for you and I. We can know such a peaceful calm as we rely upon the Lord and the strength that he provides. But David isn't only calm, he's also content. He is completely satisfied. He says, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now the question is, why a weaned child? Why not a nursing child? A nursing child is typically calm, maybe even asleep, as they sit with their mother. We might think, wouldn't this carry weight or a better image to be used? And I confessed as I went into this passage, I originally thought that way until I went home. Margot is the perfect embodiment of chaos when she feeds. She cries and fidgets in anticipation of food. While feeding, she's wriggling, she's writhing, she's turning, she's moving, she doesn't sit still. And then after feeding, she's back to fidgeting in anticipation of being set free. There are days when feeding her feels like wrestling a bear, albeit a very tiny bear and a cute one. But even the truth is, when we're not trying to feed her, Margo will rarely just sit still. She always wants more, more food, more toys, more attention. Ellie, on the other hand, the wean child, has no problem sitting with Bethany or I to read, to snuggle, to rest. Food or freedom are not on her mind. She may get restless, but she's satisfied to simply have her mom or her dad. She is content to be with us, to be in our presence. This is what David is confessing. He is content to be in the presence of his Lord. His satisfaction isn't magic. It's not a secret just now revealed. He is calm because he's satisfied in the Lord. As one commentator says, David's soul, which is by nature restless and craving, is still. It is satisfied in the fellowship of God, full satisfaction in him. It is satisfied, satiated in him. We see David confirming his words in Psalm 103.5. Bless the Lord who satisfies you with good. And from Psalm 23, which we quoted earlier, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David is confident where true satisfaction and contentment are found. Our world, our culture, on the other hand, feeds off of dissatisfaction. Companies have made billions on the fact that human beings are never content and never satisfied. There is always something more satisfying out there. A new toy, a new relationship, a new status, a new job, you name it. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, writes, Our hearts are naturally as desirous of worldly things as the babe is of the breast. And in like manner, relish them, cry for them, and cannot live without them. And this is the reason why many are unhappy, they're miserable, and even depressed. Because we are never content. And sadly, we've even brought this attitude into our relationship with God himself. We are rarely satisfied to be in his presence. His word is not enough to sustain us. We need something more. We need something better. We need something new. If you don't believe me, look at the most top-selling Christian books these days. They promise you can hear, experience God in new ways, in ways outside of his self-revelation in Scripture. 
The church is not enough to satisfy us. We need something more. We need something better. We need something new. If you don't believe me, look at the way the church is done today. Bigger, better, brighter. A more satisfying experience is promised beyond meeting together for the word and the sacraments. Sorry if I sound a bit like a curmudgeon, but we like to complain about being dissatisfied with God while rejecting the very means by which he promises to meet with us and strengthen and satisfy us. This table before us is where we are satisfied in the Lord. We are nourished here. The word of God is where we find contentment as he makes himself known to us. Brother and sister, look for contentment, not in the things of this world, not in experiences, but in the God alone who can satisfy your soul. Be in his word. Commit yourself to prayer. Gather with God's people regularly. It is here where our Lord promises to satisfy us. It is here where we find contentment. So we've looked at David's confession, we looked at his calm, and now we conclude with David's call. He says in verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. David, the king and the worship leader of God's people, invites all to follow his lead, to trust completely, wholeheartedly in the Lord. This is the main point of the psalm. It is the conclusion that everything David has said is driving towards. As I worked through this passage, I struggled to find a different way to phrase David's words. I tried to craft it into a phrase or a memorable statement that we could all walk away with. The truth of the matter is David has made it as simple and straightforward as possible. If you're going to walk away with one thing this morning, it's hope in the Lord. Maybe I'll tweak it a bit. Oh, church, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. One who hopes in the Lord is one who confesses humble submission. Hoping in the Lord keeps us in our place. One who hopes in the Lord is one who is calm, one who is at peace. Hoping in the Lord enables us to be content in his presence. What does hope mean? What does it look like? It can be translated to wait for, that psalm that we just sang. When the Psalter was compiled, it wasn't an accident that this psalm and the one before it were placed back to back. Despite having different authors, there are common themes. Psalm 130 is all about waiting on the Lord. We just sang about it. Whereas Psalm 131 doubles down on contentment, the repetition of a weaned child, Psalm 130 doubles down on waiting, the repetition of a watchman. But the two still come to that same conclusive statement. Psalm 130, verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Psalm 131, verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Hope is the key to waiting. Hope is the key to contentment and peace. In Psalm 130, hope meant the assurance of the love and redemption of the Lord. Nothing else could deal with our sin. In Psalm 131, hope meant the peace of trusting in God who is above all, yet near enough to satisfy his people. Nothing else could calm weary, troubled, and anxious souls. So where is your hope this morning? What are you waiting for? What are you trusting in? Maybe you're tempted to hope for some kind of change to bring you peace and quiet. 
a new relationship, job, status. They all hold out the promise of a stress-free, quiet, calm life. But none of these will bring lasting peace, quiet, and rest. But placing your hope in the Lord has present and eternal value. It is far from temporary. It is not fleeting. David invites God's people to hope in the Lord now and for all times. Are things going well for you this morning? Does life feel like a season of blessing and peace? Hope in the Lord. Even the good times will never be enough. Are things going horrible? Does life feel like a boxing match where you are taking punch after punch, constantly picking yourself up off the mat? Hope in the Lord. The bad times may not last, but even if they do, there is a peace and calm offered to you that transcends whatever your circumstances are. Are you discontent with where life has you at this moment? Hope in the Lord. Your situation might not change. And even if it doesn't, the Lord himself is your contentment. Are you struggling to keep your pride in check? Hope in the Lord. It will foster humility in you as God freely offers, to you, offers you his grace. David was not exempt from trouble, hardship, or pain. No one knows exactly when this psalm was written. It may have been written while he was on the run from Saul or from Absalom. It may have been in the midst of some military conquest for good or for ill. It may have just come, it may have come just as David was leaving the gathering of God's people in worship. We don't know. We don't need to know. The Old Testament clearly reveals the humanity of David. He knew the same joys, the same sorrows, the same trials and temptations that we all face. And yet he could still write and sing a song like this through all of it. He could call himself and all the people of God to confidently rest their hope in the Lord. And greater still, the son of David also sang this song as he walked the earth in our flesh. He knew the temptation towards pride and towards ambition. He would have been tempted to seek contentment in the things and the circumstances of this world. And yet he confidently trusted in the Lord. His hope was in the Lord each and every moment of each and every day, even as he hung on the cross. Jesus Christ, David's son, is the one who is calling us to hope in the Lord. He is inviting us to trust in him, the one whose hope never wavered. He invites us to himself, as we heard in our call to worship this morning. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus Christ is where peace and quiet are found. He alone is where our hope lasts now and for all eternity. There are countless reasons why you and I gather this morning seeking out peace and quiet. The trials and difficulties of life may be pressing down on you at this very moment. Maybe even packing up the family and just getting them here has you pining for a shred of calm and peace and quiet. I don't know the specifics, but the Lord does. And better than any steps or habits about finding peace is the true and lasting peace found in the Lord God. David tasted it as he confessed humility before his creator. He relished it 
as he found contentment in the presence of his Lord and his heavenly Father. He placed his hope in the Lord and invites all of us to do the same. The Lord will not disappoint. He will not leave you empty. He will give you the peace and the quiet and the calm that your soul so desperately longs for. O church, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this song. God, may this be our song this morning, our song as we go about our our week, confessing our humility before you, finding our calm and our confidence and our contentment in you, and resting our hope in you. Thank you, Jesus, for being our hope, for having gone before us. May we seek to worship and to live in light of your good and glorious grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.